0: The Reformation in the 16th century brought the, the Christian Church out of some theological abuses in the Catholic Church, and um, brought scripture to the masses, brought a revival of personal faith, and also brought some theolo- theological correction that was much needed to, to remind the people of God that we are saved by grace through faith alone. and. Um, the hymn that we sung uh, today, the first hymn we sung, was A Mighty Fortress, which is uh, written by probably the most well-known reformer, Martin Luther, who was a theologian and pastor. And uh, that, that hymn's based on Psalm 46, which is what we're going through today. Uh, now, the historian Lewis Benson says this about uh, this, this famous hymn. It was the anthem of the Reformation. It was sung at Augsburg during the Diet, and in all the churches of Saxony, and often against the protest of the priest. It was sung in the streets, and so, and so heard comfort the hearts of the reformers, Melanchthon, Jonas, and Krusiga, as they entered Weimar when banished from Wittenberg in 1547. It was sung by poor Protestant immigrants on their way into exile, and by martyrs into their death. It is woven into the web of the history of the Reformation times, and it became the true national hymn, of the Protestant of Protestant Germany and this hymn and Benson continues this hymn became closely associated with the reformer himself as it embodied in words and in melody so much of the character of the author his boldness his confidence defiance in the face of opposition and really this again this association was symbolized by the monument of Luther at Wittenberg where the first lyric of this hymn uh, was written on that monument And with this hymn, perhaps even more dramatic, and there's not really conclusive evidence from historians, but Benson, along with several other historians, believe the most likely story was that this hymn was written in October 1527 as the plague was approaching. So as we hear a little bit of the history of this very well-known hymn, we see that it was written in the midst of great passion, persecution, and even plague. And it communicates powerfully how we are to have this confidence and joy and peace through our faith in God who is our fortress. So often we look to other things for that refuge, right? We look to perhaps government or our political leaders or or our own narratives and efforts in order to bring that kind of confidence, joy, and peace. And yet this psalm reminds us and teaches us that God is our fortress. So let's find our confidence, joy, and peace in him and in him alone. A few things I want to say, and if you have your Bibles open, it's helpful. I'm just going to talk about a few structural things in this psalm. Um, But the psalm, if you read the psalms, you'll notice that Uh, Some psalms have this word selah in it. And selah is a Hebrew term that is believed essentially to be a a musical direction of some kind. And and you see them in the psalms often. And so sometimes it doesn't always work this way. Sometimes when we read the psalms, the, the placement of selah can give us an indication of divisions Uh, within the psalm, and it's quite clear in this one because it's also corroborated with other little clues, but we'll see in Psalm 46, Selah occurs after verse 3, after verse 7, and after verse 3, and so it breaks the psalm up into three sections. The other clues we see of these being these three sections is that each section is basically three verses, except that in section 2 and section 3, there's also refrain or chorus that's an extra verse, Right, So verses 7 and 11 are this refrain that is repeated um, in this psalm. And then when we were wondering, what, what is the theme of this psalm? Again, it's quite clear with this one anyway. The the first line, which is a well-known line for most Christians, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Introduces the theme to us. And it's confirmed as the theme because, again, this refrain uh, in verse 7 and 11 is essentially the same idea. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we hear this theme. God is our, our our refuge, our strength, our help. He's in the midst of us. He is our fortress. He is our help in trouble. And as he's not just any help, not just like some friend coming by to assist you. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of the heavenly armies. He is the divine warrior who comes. And so we, see, we hear this really strong militaristic imagery in the psalm. God is our help. With all of his might, he comes to help. And so we'll see as we go through the psalm, this movement in the psalm from section one, where we're told we need not fear even though nature falls apart, to section two, that God brings this flowing joy of the river of God, even amidst national turmoil. And in section three, where we're told that God will bring peace to us for his glory. So let's dive in into more details of this. I'll just quickly read these verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gets way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Just so you, you remember that the placement of that. So the Bible actually in different parts paints this picture okay, don't take this scientifically, this is imagery, he paints this picture that the earth is built up on the seas, almost like it's on pillars. And the imagery that's being described here in section one is as if the earth is falling back into the sea. So Genesis, we, we see this creation, it was the original, there was just chaos and waters, and, and God created land out of the waters. And see here, we, we see the reversal of that the earth is falling back into the sea. And so this very uh, overwhelming flood uh, that is being described is almost like cosmos is collapsing around. But yet, it's saying we need not fear even if the very cosmos around us is collapsing, we need not fear because God is our refuge and our strength. Even in these most extreme of situations, we can have confidence that God is our help. When I read this, just because of the things that we're talking about in our culture today, the picture of cosmic collapse brings to mind the natural calamities we're going through, the the debate nationally about global warming, and it reminds me of someone who came to me, came to me, you know, came to speak to the pastor uh, about this, And, and this person had this great, great fear of global warming. Now, I don't mean like some activist who's like, we need to do something, like, this man was in despair over what global warming would do to our, to our world. And it was to the point that he just felt like he needed to give up. Like give up in life. Like what's the point? Why should I bother raising my children? Why should I bother doing anything if our world in the next 10 years is just going to collapse because of global warming. He had even made plans to move to what he thought of as being the safest place in the world, which apparently was Germany. I don't know why Germany. I didn't ask him why Germany was the safest place to be of global warming and the extent of it is true. then And he, he described how he was feeling like he was on this train. Well, all of us, he believed, all of us were on this train that was hurtling down the tracks and the tracks were just going off the cliff and he was like pastor what do I do I don't I I don't know how to have hope in this situation and given (laughs) the amount of despair he felt I felt like the only thing to do was to point him to God I mean obviously that's the most obvious thing for a pastor to do but there are a lot of things you can do when you're counseling someone but his despair was so great His fear of death being so inevitable. My my words to him was simply along the lines of death is inevitable for all of us. And our lives are in the hands of the Lord. And the timing of our, our going is in the hands of the Lord. And ultimately the question is, do we trust him? Do we have hope in him in this life and in the next? And that even when we have what whatever great anxiety or despair over whatever is going on in this world, that we can have confidence that our lives are in God's hands, that he is our refuge and our strength. He is the one who can take those fears away, even if it seems like all the evidence points in this world to things not going well. Honestly. You know, pastors have inner dialogues. They have things that they're saying and they have their in own inner dialogues. I'm saying these things because I think it's the right thing to say. In my head, I'm feeling very skeptical that any of what I'm about to say to him or I'm saying to him is going to have any effect on the despair that he's feeling. That's how great his despair was. But honestly, somehow and really supernaturally, I was like, the Holy Spirit just applied those words to his hearts. And he felt great comfort in these words. I was like, oh, wow, like, God is real. He can change hearts, and this man just in the course of an hour just the God applied this hope to his heart. And you know, I, even as he left, I, I feared, like, okay, he's gonna feel good for like a day and then he's gonna fall back into despair. And I was so encouraged to see him reach out to me a year, a year later just to say that the Lord had continued to give him hope in the midst of fears. It's not that he thinks. Global warming has gone away, but that the Lord gave him comfort and peace in the midst of these fears. You know, for some Christians, this whole thing with global warming, um, some people think it either doesn't exist or that even if it does, like it doesn't matter. you know this whole world is going to go away anyway, it's all going to burn, so whatever. But I do believe that God calls us to be good stewards of this earth that He's given us, and that we are to do so for His glory. And that when God made man and woman, Adam and Eve, when he made humanity, it was inherent in his command to us to cultivate the earth that we had been given stewardship over. That we were to rule over this earth, cultivate this earth for his glory. To cultivate it, not to exploit it. And we know at the very same time that global warming does bring great anxiety, even despair to people around us and maybe even to those of you here. And this psalm tells us that we, we need not fear that. We don't need to despair of that. That we can put our trust in the Lord who promises to redeem all of creation around us. That in fact, I believe we as Christians can have more hope than anyone else. Because we believe not only that our efforts can make a difference, but we believe that God is the one who desires to redeem all of creation. How is he going to do it? I'm not exactly sure how, but that is a promise he gives in scripture. And so when we consider how we are to be good stewards of this earth, we can remember that we do so for God's glory and we do so with a God who is at work to do this. And so we are made to have confidence in this God because he is our fortress and we can engage in this world with that confidence that comes from God, our fortress. Now he continues on in the flow of this psalm in verse 4. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the imagery switches from section one where we see the earth being engulfed by the sea, falling into the sea, to this imagery in section two of this psalm of of this river of life, this river of God that brings life to the city of God and to the people of God. And this river of life is this symbol throughout scripture of God being the life giver and that the life that God brings also brings joy. That this river of life is, it's an important imagery in scripture. And this imagery of this river flows from Genesis all the way to the end of scripture in Revelation. I'm just going to read a few verses to remind us. Genesis 2 gives us this picture of a river of life that flows through the garden of Eden. And Verse 10 specifically says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. In Ezekiel 47, a prophecy is given of God restoring. The city of God for God's glory. And so verse 1 says this, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from behold, below the threshold of the temple towards the east. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. And then scripture ends, with Revelation, right? and in Revelation 22, one of the last chapters of Revelation, we're given this picture of God's final work of bringing heaven down to God, bringing the city of God down to earth to restore and redeem all of creation, including his people. And that this picture includes the establishment of this river of life, this river that brings healing. Verse 1 and 2 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with the twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit, fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What powerful imagery. This river of life bringing healing to all the nations. And this... Picture of the river of life is given not just as like, hey, you know, life is great. It's given in the midst of describing national and political turmoil, talking about kingdoms tottering and nations raging. There's chaos within the country. There's chaos around the country, and the psalmist reminds us of the joy of God that we can have through the river of life as it permeates the city of God. I don't know about you. I just feel how desperately we need to hear about this hope in our time where our country feels so divided. And it feels almost cliche to say that, but I feel it on a daily basis where, it, I, I know this is not complete reality, but it, where it feels like just Democrat, Democrats and Republicans just can't get along to work together together for the good of this country, where it's almost just about winning for their party rather than doing good together for the common good. Different camps so convinced that their way will bring good and that the other camp is evil. And it's, it's sad to me because even in, in our denomination, we're part of the Presbyterian Church in America, there, there's division. And our denomination is not some huge denomination, and, we're, and, and, and then our general assembly, which is our annual denominational meeting, that's where all the pastors and elders gather together once a year to make some, you know, vote on major decisions for the denomination. Well, they're not all major. Some of them are really mundane and boring, but major decisions and mundane decisions. Those meetings can be contentious because even this small sliver of society, which is PCA elders... It's a very small sliver. We all subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith as being the representation of the truth that is taught in Scripture. All right, it's a very small sliver of society. Even in this very small sliver of society, which is General Assembly, PCA, there's division. Because PCA is a microcosm of our society. People have different views on different issues. And we don't always know how to get along because of our brokenness. And so there will be contentious issues discussed there, and I'm sure there'll be people who'll be mad because the vote didn't go their way and feel like the denomination is going down the toilet. It's very dramatic. It's just like, you know, our country. It can feel very dramatic. So all Christians, PCA elders at General Assembly included, need to hear this truth. That God is in the midst of us. That he promises a river of life that brings joy to us. That God is at work to fulfill this promise, this vision of what he's doing in this world. And that his presence unites us. No matter how different we think our opinions are. No matter how we think we're, we're, we're fighting for the truth. We still yet remember that God joins us together in joy despite our differences. And that God is working in us and through us to accomplish his purposes. And so we can remember as Christians that we are made for joy in God who is our fortress. Let's see how the psalmist ends this psalm. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Section 3 of Psalm 46 here promises God's intervention into this world to bring peace. He is not a God who is far away. He is not a God who is distant, who is just crossing his arms and watching the world go by. He is in the midst of us. He is at work Within us, even when it seems like nature is collapsing around us, even when it feels like there's political and national turmoil, he is in the midst of us to work. And that he promises that his presence will eventually bring an end to all war and strife. Verse 8, it says, we hear, um, in verse 8, we hear that the destruction that God brings is the destruction of war and the weapons of war. That God's destruction brings worldwide peace. That he is the one who has the power and only one who has the power to bring an end to all war and to bring peace. And therefore, he is the one who is worthy to be exalted above all. Don't we all, in the end, no matter what we believe, long for that worldwide peace? Isn't that the hope that we as Christians say is the hope of kingdom come, the hope of heaven come down to earth? Only God is the one who can bring peace to our anxious hearts, to bring long-lasting peace in our hearts and in this world. We are made for peace in God, our fortress. So this promise, this promise of God being with us and in the midst of us, this promise of God being our refuge, our strength, our help, and our fortress, it is made most vividly reality through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We are always gonna be tempted to trust in movements and governments and political parties and personal narratives and personal efforts, and yet this Psalm calls us to trust in God Almighty, who is our fortress. And it is when we do that, when we turn to Jesus, that our citizenship here on earth gets put in perspective. That we can trust in the almighty God who sent his only son, the Lord of hosts, coming in frail flesh to die on the cross for our sins so that he might conquer sin and death and war and violence to bring peace to the earth. The Lord of the heavenly armies comes in peace to bring peace. The gospel tells us that Jesus Christ is that living water, water, as it says in John 4.10, that the living water becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. John 4.14, that Jesus is the living water and that water becomes the rivers of living waters within us that flow from within to give life to others as it says in John 7:38 the gospels tell us that these rivers of life is the holy spirit so how appropriate for us to remember this on pentecost as michael told us earlier this pentecost where the spirit of god came in such clear power to bring hope To all, to bring hope to all nations, to all people. And the gospel tells us that it is this river of life, the Holy Spirit, that can bring the joy that we were made for. The gospel tells us that the Lord, Jesus Christ, is the one bringing heaven down to earth in order to redeem all of creation, to restore it to its original design. To heal all brokenness. That this river of life will bring healing to the nations. And so our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus who sent his Holy Spirit to bring the rivers of life to us. To fulfill God's design for us. To be made for confidence, for joy, for peace. So that we might serve him in this world. And further the river of life going out to all people. God is our fortress, so let's find our confidence, our joy and peace in him, and let us go out into the world with that confidence and joy and peace, so that all may know him to be the living God who brings life and joy. In Jesus' name, let's pray.